You're listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message at 11 a.m. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. To learn more, visit mtcarmeldemarest.com or facebook.com forward slash mtcarmeldemarest. Thanks for listening. Take your Bibles and turn to James, James chapter 1, Lord willing, we'll look at verses 1 through 4 this morning, James chapter 1, if you don't have a copy of God's Word in front of you, um, please pull out the notes provided in your bulletin uh, and follow along with us, we want you to ensure that we are preaching the Bible to you, all right? Also, if you don't have the notes, uh, you can uh, download the YouVersion Bible app. That's Y-O-U version. After you download it, go to the More tab, tap Events, uh, High Mount Carmel Baptist Church, and then click on today's sermon title, and you'll have all the notes, quotes, and references there for you to see, save, and share. All right? James chapter 1 Verses 1 through 4, I want to preach to you a message entitled, Under Pressure. Under Pressure. I don't know if you know, but diamonds begin as coal. But it's coal that is subjected to intense pressure over time, and that's when a coal becomes a diamond. But without that pressure... Coal just stays coal. Trials are the pressures of our life. And God will use those trials to bring to bear His will for our lives. In James chapter 1, the writer introduces himself modestly. He could not have. This is James none other than the half-brother of Jesus. James is known to have rejected Jesus or opposed him during Jesus' earthly ministry. I mean, with gentleness and respect, if your brother was running around claiming to be the son of God, you'd probably distance yourself too. But that's the part that's so unique about James, is that the very movement, so to speak, that Jesus lived and died for, We see James participating in, in the book of Acts, in the early church. And what the apostle Paul explains to us is that Jesus, after his death, appeared to his brother James. And this was convincing to James. James repents of his sin and goes around claiming that his brother is the son of God. An amazing thing. The apostle Paul calls him a pillar of the church. He was one of the leaders in the Jerusalem church, which if you know anything about the book of Acts, it's the headquarters of the early church. But notice, and I'll just go ahead and just want to show this at the very beginning. Notice what James, how he calls himself. James, this is verse 1, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. The word servant here in the Greek is doulos, and it's where we get the word slave. 
he says, slave of Jesus, his half-brother. And it's actually really interesting grammatically in the Greek. Just let me nerd out for just one second. It's the word Lord and God govern both. Excuse me, the word God governs both Jesus and the Father there. That he calls the Lord Jesus Christ God. It's really amazing. James addresses this later. Look at letter, look at the next verse. To the 12 tribes, or excuse me, the next line. To the 12 tribes dispersed abroad. And then he says, greetings. Now, the 12 tribes is, is a idiom for the nation of Israel. And commentators have taken that to mean a couple of things, okay? When you talk about the 12 tribes in either what they, what they say is the dispersion, okay? And it comes from the Greek word diaspora. The, the 12 tribes that are scattered across the world. It can be taken to mean one of two ways in this context. Either James is specifically talking to Jewish believers who are all over the world. You think of it like this. John, uh, James is headquartered in Jerusalem, and he's sending out this letter to all the Jewish believers in Jesus as Lord and God and the Messiah, and he's writing a letter to them, okay? The other part, and I'm really divided on how to interpret it, is Israel also becomes a word that the New Testament talks about for all the elect and redeemed of both the Jews and the Gentiles, that in fact, the church, the church is, a, is the composition of both Jewish believers and Gentiles who are, quote, grafted into Israel, all right? That we have the same faith as Father Abraham. The Bible talks about that. So some people think that even his audience is much more broader than just the Jewish audience. This is like the leader of the headquarters of the church sending out this message to every believer who is scattered across the world. And so this message, and trust me, this message has so much relevance for us today. James is called the Proverbs of the New Testament. It's just filled with wisdom. In fact, there's like 40 to 50 commands in the book of James. Do this, do this, do this, don't do this. And he's telling us how to live as exiles, as strangers in this world. I don't know how you feel, but at least over the past week or so, I have felt like this world is not my home, Right? And James has written to Christians who go, hey, this world isn't your home. And so I'm going to tell you how to live in this world when it's not your home. And the question that we're going to answer today, and it's a big question, is how does a Christian, this is specific to Christians, I'm not saying that unbelievers, you're going to have a hard time applying this, trust me, when we get to the end. But how do believers, those who, who have repented of their sins, entrusted Jesus as their Savior and God, how are we supposed to cope with life's pressures when we're under trial? And James just tells us right off the bat what to do. Let's look at James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. I'm going to read all of it, and then we'll explain it. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. Because y'all know that the testing of y'all's faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that y'all may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Now, if you're 
new to Mount Carmel, I always transliterate the second person plural you, so that you understand this is wrote to the corporate church. It's not just a devotion written to you personally. This applies to all of us together, all right? Without reading the whole context, James' command seems irrational. Catch what he just said. Consider it a great joy. It's really interesting how they actually interpret that. It's actually an unmixed joy. Some translations will say a pure joy or nothing but joy when you go into life's pressures. That's irrational. That doesn't make sense. But you have to see how uh, James argues for that type of command, for that call and challenge to our life. So I'm actually going to do this out of order the way James presents it. I'm going to give you premise one, premise two, step one, step two, about how we're supposed to process these trials, and then we'll try to reach the conclusion, therefore consider it joy, all right? So step number one, here's what you have to understand or embrace as a Christian when you view the pressures of this life. Saving faith, write it down and I'll I'll do my best to explain it, saving faith under trial produces staying faith or in a word you can put this at the end perseverance so saving faith when it's put under trial becomes staying faith which is called perseverance please if you're new to the faith (laughs) this is one of the things that the, the prosperity gospel health wealth happiness does not tell you but Jesus told his disciples up front, he warned them in John 16, 33, you will have trouble. A Christian that doesn't experience any going against the grain in this world with gentleness and respect, you're probably not a Christian. All right? Your value and how what interests you and what, what you live for, your purpose and meaning and significance is going to be opposed to the things of this world. You will run into trouble. If you you can live your Christian life without trouble, you're not a Christian. Okay? Paul, likewise, told his converts when Paul evangelized people and they came to saving faith in Jesus. Listen to what it says in Acts 14, 22. You will go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. He just tells them, oh, now that you're a believer, welcome to hardship. All right? It has always been this way for the followers of Jesus Christ. We can't avoid trials. Notice uh, James doesn't say if. He says when. You're bound to fall into them. You will undergo many sufferings in this fallen world. You'll undergo disappointment, loneliness, mockery, sickness, death, and bereavement. You're guaranteed all of them. And Jesus tells you that up front. But James here explains that these trials, quote, test our faith or trust in God. Testing here translates a rare Greek word. It's dokamion. And it's found also in one other place, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7. And then in the Septuagint, I mentioned it last week. It's the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. And it's found in Psalm 11, 7 and Proverbs 27, 27, 21. In those Old Testament occurrences, they both define testing there 
as a uh, word picture for silver and gold. And let me explain. This is the way James uses the word. Here, faith or trust in God is conceptualized as a metal, like a metal object. The difficulties of life are permitted by God to refine that faith. So just like a metal object is placed, like silver or gold, is placed in the fire for the impurities to rise from the top and then the dross to be taken off, and so it becomes a much more pure and stronger metal, the same kind of testing happens in our lives. God takes saving faith, heats it up, puts it under pressure of trial, and that saving faith becomes staying faith, a strong, pure, persevering faith. So heating our faith in the crucible of suffering takes the impurities away so that we might remain pure, strong, and valuable before God. This testing of our trust in God is not intended to show a person whether they have faith or not. That's not the the object. It's actually there to strengthen faith so that it becomes staying faith. Notice the word produces here. It was commonly used in agriculture to indicate a harvest or a yield. Now, church, you know this. I am no farmer. I don't go outside. I'm allergic to air, water, grass. I stay inside. All right? But here's the one thing that I've learned about doll and farming is that a harvest takes some time, doesn't it? You don't generally plant a seed and the next day you've got fruit. It yields over time. The results are gradual, almost imperceptible if you didn't have something at the end to eat. And here's what it feels like, right? When you're going through a trial and through life's pressures, you go, how long is this going to take? It feels like we've been doing this forever. I promise you 2020 was a decade alone, right? This has been going on forever. And I want you to think about this in a very much a corporate sense, not just our local church, but even the church. The church around the world is constantly going through trials and suffering. And what is, what is God ultimately doing? He's strengthening the faith of the church. And we're eventually going to get there. <laughs> eventually. What is this harvest? What do we really want? This is hard to accept. This testing produces a staying faith, perseverance. You can translate it steadfastness, or I like how one guy just transliterated it this way, stick to itness. Stick to itness. The etymology of the Greek word points to remaining under, to stay under pressure. The picture is of a person successfully carrying a heavy load for a long time. The New Testament emphasizes the need for Christians to cultivate this quality of perseverance, steadfastness, or stick to itness when facing difficulties. And to make you, make you a little distinction between thinking of it this way, patience is forbearing people. Okay, Perseverance, enduring, uh, endurance, steadfastness has to do with in, uh holding up under trials and pressures. These are not people. They're just experiences and situations. And God wants to cultivate that in our life. One commentator said it this way, endurance is faith stretched out. 
faith stretched out. Now, this is important to note. Perseverance is not the goal in and of itself. This is so good. This will change you. Okay? God is not putting you under pressure just so that at the end of it you can say, I persevered. That is not why he's doing that. All right? Notice the second part, step two. And, write it down. This has to be linked together. Premise one, premise two. You can't have one without the other. The second step in the process is this. And perseverance produces perfection. Wow. And perseverance produces perfection. So you see how this works. Everybody just catch it. I won't go too far, right? Actually, you should start over here because it looks different for you guys, right? Step one, <laughs> you have a saving faith given to you by Jesus through the Holy Spirit at regeneration, at your salvation, all right? That saving faith needs to become a persevering faith. So what does God do? He allows, permits trials and pressures to work on you to make that stay, saving faith saving faith. A saving faith, staying faith. That staying faith or perseverance is working on you to produce none other than perfection itself. So notice what happens. So the, the, the whole link is trials to perfection. That's, that's crazy when you think about it. A couple of things. Notice again the y'all, right? He's talking about y'all. I cannot, I want to tell you this. I cannot tell you. Whether your suffering or your trials is just to produce staying faith and perfection in just you. I believe it's completely biblical that you might suffer solely for the purpose of someone else. It's y'all. You understand that? People are watching you, looking at you, seeing how you'll react in times of pressure. And when Christians can keep their head about them, that goes to the glory of God. Y'all. Y'all. When faith is tested, the immediate result is perseverance. But the perseverance is working something else in us. What makes trials so difficult to endure is that it's not in our nature to endure. Did you notice what the other command was? Let endurance have its work. Let it. Because what do we want to do? We want to tap out. We want to tap out. I'm done with this. I cannot do this anymore. And we tend to do this one of two ways. One, and I, and I can't tell you the number of people, and I, and I don't fault you. I'm saying this is where we all deal with it, is we're immediately looking for a, a tidy explanation for our suffering. Why me? Why am I going through this? As if we, when we learn our lesson, God will somehow, like, just let it go. That sometimes isn't the case. Sometimes you will go through stuff, and I promise you this, according to the Word of God, you will not have a reason for it until you see Him in glory. So if you're waiting on something, and I don't think there's anything wrong with questions, doubts, okay, to really go, why is this happening to me? But I need you to know in your heart, you may not get that answer in this life. May not. And when, when a Christian's embraced that perspective that God is sovereign, he rules over and overrules all, we take it to heart that God is working all things together for our good, right? Then at the end of the day, and I mean judgment day, we'll go, okay, it made sense. Right? 
on judgment day. That makes complete sense. I don't think some of us are equipped. I mean, this is going to, I don't know if I'm equipped to hear the rationale right now. I don't think I am. So sometimes it's just endure, endure. The other one that we'll want to do is we just want to exit or get out altogether. And here's the thing I need you to understand, church. Oftentimes under trial, if this trial is permitted by God, the only way for you to exit out from under it is sometimes to compromise your integrity. Right? Just go with the line, toe the line, we'll do whatever, compromise. Sometimes, yeah, you can exit your trial early, but it's going to cost you your integrity. So sometimes you're put in places where you're like, I have to maintain this because this value is of higher order than me just getting out from under my suffering. Shortcuts and trials involve compromise, and those are sometimes areas we cannot negotiate. I want you to think about it this way. My my grandfather, man, Raz, you'll hear us call Haddon, by the way, has got two names that he answers to now, Tater and Raz. Tater, who was that? Is it Philip Roberts? Is he responsible for that? I can't remember. Anyway, Tater. But we name, we'll call him Raz after my grandpa. My grandpa was a rough man. And he was a carpenter. And he was a contractor. In fact, I did a funeral for uh, uh, someone in our church. I can't recall. It was like a friend of the church kind of thing. And they had... Uh, people back from my home in Lincoln come and I got to talk to him afterwards and this guy ended up knowing my grandfather Raz. He goes, you're Raz's grandson? Yeah. <laughs> Man, the grace of God is real. I mean, that's what I'm trying to let you know. But I never forget, I worked one summer with, with uh, Grandpa and man, my grandpa's got those hands. You ever seen those hands that just, they're not my hands. I'll go ahead and ain't a lot of you. I got typing hands. I don't have these hands. But he's the hands that's like, I don't need no glove. Right? Because what's happened? Over time, doing all that stuff, his hands are gloved. Hand it to him. Think about the boxer. I always think about Muhammad Ali and his rope-a-dope, right? What did he do there? Get on the, <laughs> the ring and just take a beating. And what was he doing? I'm wearing you down, and at the end, I'm going to have your hind end. That's what he did. These were guys who get spiritually tough. That's what I'm making the metaphor to is over time, it, in my, for you students out there like me, it's, it's like this. It's like, remember when you were in college or high school and they were like, you got to write a five-page paper. And you're like, good night, that's crazy. And then like now it's 150. And you're like, well, it could be worse, right? You just build it up. You build it up. And God's wanting to do that in you, spiritual toughness. Make that perseverance. Why? Why? Well, let's see what he says. I'm about to tell you what perfection is here in just a second. Here's what I need you to write down. What's the big idea? Count it. Count it. We're about to count it. We're going to count it. And, and I think at the end we're going to count it joy. I think at the end of it when we compare, put them side by side, suffering and trials, pressures with perfection, the end result of perseverance, we're going to go, well, that's nothing but joy. Now let's count it real quick. Let's just say this. We'll have a little bit of interaction. If you're watching online, you can drop it in the chat. Make it funny. I'll read it later. What are some of the things that you hate about the, the pressures and trials and suffering of life? Just shout them out. 
Anxiety. Bless God. Anxiety. Depression. Tired. Frustration. Say it again. Defeat. Persecution. These are parts of it. What else? Huh? Say it again. Oh, judgment and labeling. Yeah. What else? Worry. Anger. Death and taxes. I don't know about pay your taxes, Romans 13. Uh, anybody else? Huh? Pain. This week, seeing our folks be sick, right? Sickness. It's all a part of it. Now you go, when you add all that up, that's heavy. That's heavy. So, man, James, how are you going to go? <laughs> Joy. Right? Joy. Here's what, <laughs> here's what perseverance works in us. If we can persevere, number one, here's what you'll find out. Number one, your faith is from God. Now, that may not mean much to you. It means a lot to me. All right? A faith never tried can never be depended upon. Let me tell you this. A faith never tried by trials. What makes you think when you'll pass from death to life that you'll open your eyes in glory? Right? As Spurgeon preached, but if in the darkest hour you still have said, I cast my burden upon the Lord and he will sustain me, and you find that he does sustain you, then your faith is that of God's elect. If in temptation you cry to God in prayer that you may keep your garment unspotted and he helps you to do so, then you are also sure that your faith is yours and that the spirit beget it in your soul. After a great fight or affliction, when I come forth a conqueror, I know that I do believe in God and I know that his faith makes me a partaker of covenant blessings. From this, I may fairly argue that my faith is of the right kind. Because you can delude yourself, church. We can give mental assent. We can raise a hand. We can get, get baptized. I'm going to tell you right now, you want to find out whether your faith is real? Just endure some hardship. Jesus promises not every seed that's thrown out bears good fruit. Why? Because the anxieties and troubles of this world, it'll choke the life out of it. And the one that can continue, it's not, I feel like sometimes we think, well, some seed gets lucky and just doesn't endure hardship. No, even the seed that produces a hundredfold had things that threatened it too. And guess what it kept doing? Keep on, keep on right it was true faith it came from God and, and can I just pause and note this if you endured all of that but you were assured at the end of your life your faith is from God count it joy I'm not done counting though number two <laughs> number two your faith is yours you said it just came from God yeah but it's a gift to you you possess it you own it you might say, I've read the scripture, I know the doctrines, I believe them. Right? It's, I mean, here's the, can you just kind of check off? And, I, and you've got to do this. This is a part of, the, of our belief. Like, do you affirm the Bible is the word of God? Yeah. Right? Do you affirm that Jesus Christ bled and died for our sins? Yeah. Do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Yeah. Do you believe he can forgive you? Yeah. Do you believe he can raise you up on the last day? Yeah. You want to find out really how you believe that? Do you believe it when you're disappointed, jobless, sick, or on your deathbed? That's when we find out who's who. 
It's easy with gentleness and respect to bring you up in front of the church like, you repented of your sin? Yeah. You been baptized? Yeah. When you're in the crucible of suffering, you'll find out whether the forgiveness of sins means something to you. Right? Whether resurrection means something to you. Whether everlasting life means something to you. It's not just the head knowledge. It's a part of it. But man, that's when it gets drilled down deep in your heart. Man, I long for that. Can you say, my faith is no guesswork. It is not just theoretical. I have seen it for myself. I love that. The assurance is not cheaply purchased. You can't purchase that kind of faith. Doubt, I'm, and I've been under severe doubt. I, I tell this to people as a pastor. There was a season in my life where I genuinely had questions whether Jesus was raised from the dead. Because I understood. I understand it. It's still the truth. First Corinthians 15. If God has not raised Jesus, this is a lie. It's all a lie. It's a farce. And it was cognitive dissonance going, is this real or not? And I can't tell you that season that I went through reading and studying and praying and have come to the conclusion, I have confidence that God raised Jesus from the dead. And that impacts my life. I think it changes the way I preach. Now, can I say this? God signed me up for it all over again? Probably not. The panic attacks were bad. But at the same day, it's like, if, on, if that would have, if, if I find out on, on Judgment Day, that trial made sure I was there. Count it joy. Right? See how that works? This, well, okay, panic attacks. <laughs> That's how it is. Number three, God answers prayer. Let's just be honest, saints. Some of us love Jesus and we're prayerless. I know it's an oxymoron, but I'll let you have it for just a second. But one beautiful thing about trials, if they're real trials, you'll get to pray in them. Right? You'll fall on your knees going, oh, what is this? Help me, help me, help me. Which what you've got to realize, that was supposed to be our stance and position through it all, good and bad. But here's the good thing about trials, where you do fall on your knees and cry out for help, and he does answer you. You go, he actually answers prayer. Can you imagine just knowing deep down in your soul, okay, I got all the suffering in the world, but I serve a God who listens to me and actually answers me. Count it joy, that one thing alone. Isn't that crazy? Number four, we should be grateful. We should be grateful. I'm, I'm probably getting way too much real. Uh, just I have a comfort today. Let's read them today. Boy, have you ever had those uh, days where your stomach just messed you up? Have you ever sat there for a second? It's like, man, tomorrow, if my stomach's not messed up, I'm going to be so thankful. <laughs> have you ever done that? Isn't it amazing how human nature, though, forgets it so fast? Then we go about our lives. We're not even thankful that I'm not having stomach issues today, right? Isn't it amazing that one of the things that you'll find, people who have been through some of the most immense suffering, are some of the most grateful people. They are. They have an amazing outlook toward life. And understand this, we're commanded to be grateful in everything. A person who's been, you know, under the crucible of suffering, have you ever heard, they have a knack for finding the positive, and you know what I'm saying, and believing the best in people. Isn't it amazing what that does? They can look at you and go, oh, it's been worse. It's been worse? Yeah, it's been worse. 
And then last but not least, you will be perfect. Perfect. Now, here's the thing where I differ on how some people interpret James chapter 1 verse 4. They take that to mean Christian maturity. If you persevere, you'll grow in the value of perseverance. And to be persevering is like Jesus. And that's true. But that's not what James is saying here. I'm, I'm convinced of it. And it has to do with his word perfect. Perfect. Look at James chapter 1 verse 17. James. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Now, if it's just Christian maturity or maturity, imagine reading that and saying every good and mature gift. We go, no, no, no. When God gives us something, it's good and perfect. Right? It doesn't just mean more mature. Uh, go down to James chapter 1, verse 25. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it is not a forgetful here, but a doer who works. The person will be blessed in what he does. Now, let me ask this. He's in reference to God's word. Let me ask you, is this book just the most mature book on the planet? No, it's, it's perfect. It's God's very word. Now, here's what I mean by that. I understand that if you were to go through suffering and trials every moment of your life, even if your lifetime lasted 120 years, you wouldn't be perfect. You might be mature in your Christian life, but you wouldn't be perfect. This is what we talk about. What I believe James has in mind is the eschatological vindication. That's a good theological word. Eschaton meaning the end times, the future. Vindication talking about your glorification, your resurrection. What James is saying is this, you need perseverance to get you to the day when Jesus returns because when he's here, you'll be like him, perfect. I don't mean this mean. I need to know that my perseverance is working a little further than just me becoming more mature. That's a part of it. But God's saying this, your perseverance under trial is the very thing that will get you to heaven. Without perseverance, you won't make it. You won't make it. You understand, church, this is what James has in mind. John put it this way in Revelation 21, 1 through 8. This is what he means by that perfect day. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first, first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a broad adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And he said, Right, because these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. And then notice this, the one who conquers will inherit these things. I will be his God and he will be my son. How are you going to conquer to get to that day? Persevere. Persevere. And where does perseverance come? Trials. <laughs> 
Your trials are literally working your faith to heaven. To heaven. Now, think about what I'm saying there. You take all the words we use to describe pressure and suffering and trials, and just think of it this way, and you put heaven in the other column. Let's do the accountant work. Apples and oranges. What would, what would James say? Joy. Joy. I have to endure that so I'll make it there? Yeah. Bring it on. Bring it on. James' command does not mean that we are to enjoy our trials. That's not what he says. It is not being excited about a dark diagnosis or a tumultuous relationship. Joy differs from happiness. Happiness is just drifting on life circumstances. When we experience a high, we feel good. When we experience a low, we feel bad. That leaves us, Christians, at the mercy of the world. Do you want to be left at the mercy of this world? No. And it's not pretending to be happy either. Christian, please understand, you don't have to come in here with a smile on your face. Right? It says Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him. It doesn't mean he smiled all the way to Calvary. He just knew what was on the other side of it. Right? It's not pretending. What James is commending is a conscious embrace of a Christian understanding of life. A con- There's more to the story than just what we see. And that's hard. There's more going on. There's more at stake. Eternity is in the, in the mind of God. And that's what he's working everything to good for. Listen to what Romans 8.18 says. This is amazing. Paul says, for I consider. He's like, when I'm adding it up, when I'm reckoning it up, when I'm chalking it together, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. Apples and oranges, don't don't sit there and do that. (laughs) Your mind will just go crazy. I just consider it and chalk it up to glory. We count, reckon, chalk up, regard our trials ultimately as a supreme joy because producing perseverance enables us to reach in heaven. And how can we not rejoice in the truth of reaching heaven? Write this down. I just thought this was so good. This is probably my new definition for joy. Joy may be defined as a settled contentment in every situation. Or an unnatural reaction of deep, steady, and unadulterated, thankful trust in God. I'd love to read that last line. What is joy? It's thankful trust in God. It's going, when I look at my trial, I go, God must be up to something good. See? And that produces joy. God must be doing something that I'll be thankful for. Now, you may not be on this side of heaven. But one day, you'll look back and go, thank you, God. And so we're able to rack it up now as joy. Joy. James encourages us to embrace our trials, not for what they are, but for what they will do. Do you see that? What they will do. I like what Philip says, when trials come, don't resent them as intruders, but welcome them as friends. A Christian can do that. We don't have to complain and bicker and go, yeah, God's going to use this. 
Oswald Sanders quotes this poem, and I'll leave you with this. It says, when God wants to drill a man and thrill a man and still a man, when God wants to mold a man to play the noblest part, when he yearns with all his heart to create so good and bold a man that all the world shall be amazed, watch his method, watch his ways, how he ruthlessly perfects whom he royally elects, how he hammers him and hurts him and with mighty blows converts him into trial shape of clay that's only God understands. While his tortured heart is crying and he lifts beseeching hands, how he bends but never breaks when it's good he undertakes, how he uses whom he chooses and with every purpose fuses him, by every act induces him to thaw his splendor out. God knows what he's about. James calls you to make a decision today. He actually calls you to make a decision. Consider your troubles as opportunities for endurance for your ultimate joy. I'm going to ask every head bowed and every eye closed. I know, church, it's been a tough week on many fronts, many fronts. And sincerely, I prepared this message early in the week, not knowing how the week was going to shake down on so many different levels. And we can, we can look at all of this, I, I believe, according to God's word. And one day, now it may be far in eternity, but we might be able to look back and consider, wow, thank you, God. Isn't it amazing that you might be able to thank God for this week? I find that amazing. But here's what I mentioned earlier, is that for Someone who's not a Christian or a believer. I don't see how you can consider any of this joy. You have no hope of eternal life. What, what point in the future can you look back and say, this was working out for what good? There isn't. And so the most vital thing that you could take care of first is your soul. Repent of your sin and trust Jesus as your Savior and to be a recipient of faith that can make it through trial all the way to heaven. That's what we want. If you've never repented of your sins and trusted Jesus as your Savior, I want to give you the opportunity to do that now. With every head bowed and every eye closed, Jesus came to this earth, lived a sinless life, and shed his blood to cleanse you from all your sin. So that you can be forgiven, raised from the dead, and stand before God on judgment day knowing you are declared righteous as a gift from God. And if you're ready to receive that gift and commit your life to him, will you pray this to Jesus, our Savior? He's not dead. He's alive. He's the Son of God and hears our thoughts and whispers. Just pray this silently in your heart to him. Say, dear Jesus, I confess I am a sinner and I deserve judgment. Grant me repentance and faith. I believe that you love me. You came down for me. You lived a sinless life and shed your blood to forgive my sins. And I believe God raised you from the dead. Please forgive me. Come into my life and take me all the way to heaven. With every head bowed and every eye closed, my encouragement based on the Bible to you is be baptized. 
Baptism is the way we show the church and the world that we believe and identify with Jesus' death for our sins when we go under the water, and we believe and identify with Jesus' resurrection from the grave for our victory and forgiveness when we come up out of the water. If you've never been baptized, check out the, the baptism box on the back of the tear-off panel. Text BELIEVE to our text and church number. Go to our website, fi- uh, fill out the form. Give us an opportunity to talk to you about the next steps of going public with your faith. The last thing that I want us to do today, uh, Stacy, you can begin to play. I want to read a prayer from John Calvin. It's provided for you in your notes. But this is about Christians enduring hardship and embracing this Christian understanding of life. He says this, Grant Almighty God that since the depravity of our nature is so great that we cannot bear prosperity without some wantonness of the flesh immediately raging in us and without becoming even arrogant against you. O grant that we may profit under the trials of the cross, and that when you have blessed us, may we with lowly hearts, renouncing our perverseness, submit ourselves to you, and not only bear your yoke submissively, but proceed in this obedience all our life, and so contend against all temptations as never to glory in ourselves, and feel also convinced that all true and real glory is laid up for us in you until we shall enjoy it in your celestial kingdom through Christ our Lord. Amazing prayer. Will you pray it in this time of meditation? Father, in light of the scripture, dear God, we thank you for our trials, and we understand how irrational that is on the face of it, but when we see that you're taking our faith and transforming it into another kind of faith, that we can persevere all the way to the end, we can't help but be thankful and joyful, and Lord, at the same time, that doesn't undermine our individual and corporate suffering, that we can't be broken, tired, upset, angry, but that at some point we have to pause and embrace this worldview that there are eternal things going on, that your ways are higher than our ways, your thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and we can rest in knowing that you'll give us the grace for each moment to tackle each trial. And Lord, we pray that you keep us safe all the way till we stand before you face to face. And when we see you, we'll be like you. We thank you for that wonderful promise. 
We thank you and pray this in Jesus' strong name and all God's people said, amen. Got a, just a couple of quick reminders. I pretty much did the announcements at the beginning, but please, 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 church, if you uh, filled out the share-off panel, text it hello to Church Green Church or uh, visit our website, fill out the form. Thank you so much. We, we love the opportunity to partner with you in ministry. Um, please RSVP your spot for church. Um, you can fill out the share-off panel, uh, drop it in the drop box on the way out. You can text RSVP now. You can do it right now. Or uh, you can go to our website and click reserve. That goes for the children's church as well. Make sure you re- reserve for that. And don't forget uh, about Sunday school next week at 10 o'clock. Uh, you don't need a reservation for that. We can social distance better downstairs. And then also, uh, don't forget about our deacon nomination next Sunday. You're just nominating. Uh, you'll, you'll have the opportunity to nominate three unordained deacons. And if you would like to drive, uh, drive up and participate in that vote from 10 to 12, pull around at the fellowship hall. Don't forget tonight at 6, uh, Pastor Aaron will continue his series on the commands of Jesus and talking about the need to follow Jesus. And then I'll be live, Lord willing, on Wednesday uh, to be in Revelation chapter 6, I think verse 9 is where I'm at, as we look at the fifth seal and uh, these other uh, judgments and lamentations being poured out uh, on the church in the last days. Hey, thank you so much for worshiping with us today. And uh, I do pray uh, this week uh, will, be good, will be a good week. I don't, I don't necessarily want us praying for trials, right? I'm not there. Uh, but I understand that God can use these trials for our good and we can find our joy. And so I pray that you'll, you'll resonate with me that way. Brother Rick, would you come and lead us in one last song? has been a trying week in a lot of ways in all of our lives, but <clears throat> we, we must never lose sight of the true thing that unites us all as Christians, and that's love. And so in your bulletin, the world's going to know us, not because we uh, stood for this or that, or the, the thing that's going to lead people to Christ and to the truth of the gospel is love. Even though we are to take stand and do these things, we don't do it in hatred and bitterness and anger and all of these things that uh, can happen when we're not controlled by the Holy Spirit. So our whole goal is to show the world that we love Jesus more than anything, and, and that's through love. So let's stand together as we sing this last song. And Thanks for listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. Please join us this Sunday at 11 a.m. To plan your visit, go to mtcarmeldemarest.com.